come. Well, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Just go to the very end of the book. That's where we're at today. I'm thankful uh, to be a part of a church where people uh, show hospitality to one another in very simple ways. One of the simple ways that we show hospitality to others is we just greet them. Uh, we, we, we share some kind word. You see somebody here that you don't know. I hope that you, and I see often that you do, uh, just greet them. Uh, find out who they are uh, and, and share a little bit about yourself maybe as they ask as well. We have interesting ways of greeting. Often we greet one another with questions. I was going to count this morning and I forgot to do it. How many people just in, in quick greetings passing by in the hallway ask the question, how you doing? If we actually pause to answer that question to everybody who asks it, we would have probably conversations with fewer people and much longer conversations. The, the kind of normal way we answer that question, how you doing, is just, good, you? Good, all right, then we move on. Uh, and we've kind of had that conversation. It's not really a conversation, it's more of a greeting. Maybe, maybe you've great, you greet others with the, the question, what's up? I'm not sure always what to say to that. You, you know, always make some like lame dad joke about the ceiling or something like that. But, you know, that question. Another question that you might have asked other people or maybe you've been asked by somebody, have you been greeted with this question? Hey, what's the good word? Any of you do that? Like, what, what's the good word? I'm never totally sure uh, how to respond to that one either. But today's final message in the book of Hebrews, I'm titling, What's the Good Word? Because the bulk of what we're going to look at in these last five verses here is a benediction. It might even have that title there in your Bible above this passage, a benediction. And benediction is just two words put together. Bena, meaning good, and diction, meaning word. It's a good word. So the book is going to go out with a good word. You've probably noticed in our normal order of worship in our worship services that we begin, after some welcome and announcements, we begin with a call to worship, hearing from God in His Word as we begin, and then we end with a benediction, being sent out with God's Word, because we need to hear the good Word of God's Word together. One of them that I often send us out with is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Usually I just read it at the end of a service. Today, we're going to get a chance to look at it a little more closely. In a world filled with all kinds of words, words that often beat us down or tear us down in some way, we need to hear a good word. And so today, we will do that. If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's word from Hebrews 13, verse 20 down to the end. God's word says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We want to be people who hear it. 
uh, hear it clearly, that we might understand it, that we might believe it, that we might obey it, that we might be molded and formed by it. And so, so thank you for using me as a preacher to that end, but ultimately I know I'm fully dependent, we're all fully dependent on you causing your word to, to get fixed in our minds and to sink into our hearts and to shape our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if you remember from when we started the book of Hebrews, that this is not written like a traditional letter. So it's always tricky to know how we characterize the book of Hebrews. It doesn't totally fit with the epistles or the letters, but it's certainly not like one of the gospels or the narrative of the book of Acts, and it's not apocalyptic like the book of Revelation. So really, we kind of landed on, really, Hebrews is essentially a sermon. It's one sermon intended to be given to the church and then read to the church, written by an author, of course inspired every word of it by the Holy Spirit, but written by an author who's not there with the church. We're going to learn some things maybe a little bit more today about maybe who the author is or where the people are at and that kind of thing in this ending. But interestingly, though the, though the book doesn't have the form of a letter anywhere else, it actually kind of ends like a letter. So it doesn't start like a letter or work like a letter until the very end where it sounds like the ending of a letter. So we're going to start there at the end. Again, remember, this is a sermon, and the sermon, if there was like, you know, a lot of times, well, maybe you didn't recognize this, but when I do a sermon outline, um, above on the top, I just put one sentence that kind of summarizes or makes the main argument that, that, that I think I'm going to make today from this text. If, if we were doing that for the book of Hebrews, if the book of Hebrews is one sermon, that one sentence, I think, could easily be, Jesus is better, stick with him. Right? And so we've heard that over and over. We've tried to go through Hebrews relatively quickly, not turning one sermon into 50 sermons. This is actually, I think, sermon 19. Okay, so we're getting through a 13-chapter book in 19 sermons. Again, just trying to make the point, Jesus is better, stick with him. And so if we look now to the very end of the letter, we're going to look at verses 20 and 21 in more detail, but let's start here with this end section, verses 22 to 25, and notice a couple of things. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That's kind of an interesting command to give them. To, to bear with my word of exhortation, or sermon would be another way to translate that. Again, the sermon, the message being Jesus is better, stick with him. He's saying, bear, bear with me on this. This is going to be a hard message not only to hear, sometimes we've found out it's a hard message to understand, isn't it? And it's a hard message to swallow. Because it seems everything about their situation would seem to say, it would be better if I went back when things were better and more comfortable. The comfort of my routine and rituals in the Jewish faith, can I go back there? And the message is, no, keep going ahead, stick with Jesus, he's better. So he ends with this appeal to bear with his hard exhortation. Notice this too. He also mentions... <coughs> oh, man, I was singing loud today. Um, notice this. He, he mentions that it was brief. He says, For I have written to you 
briefly. So it's a brief sermon. Quick note, just so you don't think I preach long. A biblical proof that I do not preach long. I preach about 35 minutes each sermon. If you were to read the sermon of Hebrews from front to end, it would be about a 45-minute sermon. So biblically speaking, I preach short sermons, okay? Because he's saying here that his sermon is short. For I have written to you briefly, and it's about a 45-minute deal, okay? So, so just getting that out of the way. Uh, biblical proof that I preach short sermons. Uh, verse 23, though. Look at verse 23. It says, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Now, this is the one sentence that a lot of people have used to say, maybe, maybe the author of this letter or this sermon is, in fact, the Apostle Paul. It sounds like other Pauline letters, right? And we, we touched on this at the very beginning. But I think there's a whole bunch of other reasons that kind of show, <coughs> excuse me, that show that this, while this might be the very same Timothy who traveled with Paul, there's a lot of, uh, I think, evidence to show probably this isn't a letter written by Paul. There was a time in church history where they often attributed this to Paul. But as we've studied some things here in the letter, basically people are just honest and saying, we don't know for sure who wrote it. We just know the Holy Spirit inspired an author to write this. We know a couple of things, maybe a little bit more by looking at this. At least the person probably knew Timothy and probably knew Paul very well. We also know from verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. A lot of people have looked at that and determined, well, well, he's probably writing this letter to Jewish Christians who lived near Rome in Italy, which is why he would say, people who have come from Italy send you their greetings. Well, he picks out one group of people. Well, you would do that, right? If, if you came from a certain place and somebody was writing a letter back to that place, you say, oh, you're writing a letter? Why don't you tell them hello? So the people from Italy are greeting the people who are receiving this letter, which has led some to assume the people receiving this letter are in Italy, maybe even really near Rome, which would explain again why some of the persecution has been on the sharp rise and then it ends, like a lot of New Testament letters end, with this simple greeting or conclusion, grace be with all of you. Grace be with all of you. Now, I told you we'd spend most of them. So, there, so there's kind of the greeting. That meant a lot to the original audience. Uh, I think really encouraging that this intense letter with these hard truths ends on kind of a personal warm note. You know, like just with some, some, some warm greetings. Um, those were especially helpful for the original audience. I think what's especially helpful for us is verses 20 and 21. So, so let's look in more detail at verses 20 and 21. You might notice in English, this is all one sentence. Verses 20 and 21, there's a lot in there. And if you were like, you know, like, like Jeanette, an English teacher, she might say, hey, that's a run-on sentence. Take that back and correct it and split it into two. Uh, but we're not going to correct uh, what the, the biblical author wrote here as one long sentence where a lot of things are packed in. So I want to, though I've read it many times to us, I want us to break it down a little bit here today. All what we've seen in the book of Hebrews is the heart of what Jesus has done. Jesus is better 
because only he has done what's necessary for everyone to be saved. To be able to draw near, I should say for anyone to be saved, right? To draw near to God, to live in right relationship with him, we need Jesus and what he has done. So remember, we, we've seen all of these things. Jesus is better, and remember how at the beginning of the book, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus' blood is the better blood. Jesus is the one who ushers in a better covenant. So Jesus is better. We've seen this throughout. And really, when we get to verse 20, it's like he tries to pack all those things in that verse. So verse 20, saved by Christ. Now, may the God of peace... The God of peace, again, remember their situation. It was a time of turmoil and suffering, persecution on the rise. It would be so comforting for them to hear that God is a God of peace. When everything else seems to be fracturing and falling apart around them, God is a God of wholeness. So so may the God of peace. He could have just said, now may God, but he specifically says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So now he's talking about, here's who he is. He is the God of peace, and here's what he has done. He has raised from the dead Jesus. This is what our God has done. When it looked like God lost, right? remember their expectation was the, the Messiah of Israel is going to come and save us from the oppressor, and the oppressor at that time was Rome. But now Rome has taken Jesus and executed him publicly on a cross. It looks like God lost. But this God, the God of peace, has raised from the dead our Lord Jesus. Again, how helpful would that have been in a season where it looked like these Christians are losing? Like this is the wrong time to be a follower of Christ. If you follow Christ, you will suffer but he hears the, they hear the message here at the end. Remember, this is the God who brought Jesus again from the dead. It might look like you're losing now, but we don't lose in the end. God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Then he calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. God had referred to himself in the Old Testament, probably the most well-known psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So we, we've seen God refer to himself as the shepherd, but in Christ... We see God, the the great shepherd, laying down his life for his sheep. Again, a message that we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews. And then it ends in verse 20 with this, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Under the old covenant, again, we saw this clearly in the book of Hebrews, under the old covenant, there was a lot of blood. I'm reading through Leviticus right now. There's a lot of blood. I was just reading this section yesterday where, where not only was blood taken from an animal and, and thrown on the altar, blood was also taken and put on the, the, the right earlobe and the right thumb and the right big toe of Aaron and his sons. So, so blood really almost literally everywhere in the Old Covenant, but the message of the book of Hebrews has been showing us again and again, no, Jesus is better. We don't need these these annual and and more more than annual regular sacrifices of animals which temporarily withheld God's judgment. 
which were useful to help people see the seriousness of sin and the fact that sin brings death. And so, so blood of those animal sacrifices was useful for a time, but the message of Hebrews has been, no, we live now under a better covenant, an eternal covenant. God's plan all along was to send His Son, the once-for-all sacrifice, to end all other sacrifices. So so all of this that we've seen throughout the book is getting packed in to this benediction, this good word at the end. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So that's, that's, that's how we're saved, by the blood of the eternal covenant, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, by Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, dying for the sheep. We can be at peace with God through Christ and through Christ alone. So some application for us in verse 20. In this world, there will be trouble. In your life groups, I have some stuff in the life group guide there as you'll look at some other passages that talk about the connection between our God, called here the God of peace, and the fact that we need peace. Peace with God. Our works, here's the challenge for us to, to acknowledge, our works are not acceptable before God. Our, our, like if, if we're, we as sinners need to be made right with God, and so we could try really hard to be really good, and in the end that's not good enough, that's not acceptable before God. The good news of the gospel is God doesn't accept our works, but He accepts the works of the Son. And we know that God has accepted Jesus as our representative and substitute, not only because Jesus dies, but because God raised him from the dead, showing that God accepts his sacrifice as the once-for-all sacrifice that provides a way for sinful people to be made right with a holy God. And so a a simple question is, do do you trust in Christ? The only way for us to be saved, to be at peace with God, is through what Christ has done, through faith in Christ. So your church attendance, even on a super cold day where it would have been way better to sleep in bed, like that's not, that's not impressive enough to God that you are now made right with God through your attendance of church when it's below zero. Like that doesn't do it, right? Whatever it is that you do does not measure up because we by nature are sinners and we by choice are sinners. And so only what Christ has done is sufficient to make us right with God. So have you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus? We need to be saved by Christ. But praise God that the same God who saves us in one way only, that's through faith in Christ, that it's not just like he saves us and then we're out on our own. Look at verse 21. May this God also do this equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. The good news just keeps getting better. Because the same God who saves them also now equips them with everything they need to do His will and to please Him. Just like they can only be saved through Christ, if they're going to obey God's commands, and we've seen some hard commands and some severe warnings. Remember, one of the, stick with Jesus, this, this hold fast to Jesus. 
message that we've seen throughout Hebrews, in the midst of the suffering and rising persecution that they're seeing, they would be, they would be quick. I would be quick to say, I can't do it. And they would be right. They can't. And so the good news is not just that you're saved by God through faith in Jesus, but you're also equipped by God to do everything that will please God, to do God's will, to obey the commands. Aren't you thankful? So so application, aren't you thankful that we don't have a God who who saves us and then kind of like pats us on the back, gives us a bunch of commands and says, good luck, right? That's not our God. Our God who saves us is the same God who also then equips us. We can't do his will or please him without his equipping work. So illustration for this. Our, our daughter Mariah uh, loves to bake, and she's loved to do that for a really long time. Nearly every Saturday morning, Mariah and I make biscuits together. She's 11 now, but we started this a few years ago. So there's a picture on the screen, I think. That's from like 2019. So we've been doing this for a while. I think we started even before that. So we get up on Saturday morning, usually before other people get up, and we start this work. Now, if I, when Mariah was like seven years old or whatever she was when we started, had just said to Mariah, hey, Mariah, you like to bake, and we like to eat. Go make us some biscuits. I don't think that would have turned out well for Mariah or for the rest of the family. We probably wouldn't have liked to eat whatever it was that Mariah was able to put together. When Mariah was getting started, she needed me to supply what she needed, right? So, so all that she needed, the, the, the tools, the equipment, uh, the, the ingredients, and then needed me to be with her to help her through that process, right? I needed to be equipping her for that, not just telling her what to do and leaving her on her own. Now, this analogy breaks down. Because Mariah is now at a point where she doesn't really need me anymore. And we will never get at, at a point where we no longer need Jesus to be with us, equipping us for everything good to do his will. Like, I don't care how long you've been a believer, you're not there yet. I don't care how much, how much you've put into studying and believing and obeying the word of God. You can do nothing apart from Christ. That's what Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we not only need Jesus to save us, we also need Jesus to be working through us that he might equip us with everything good to do his will and to live in a way that pleases him. I cannot do that on my own. I need Jesus to save me and I need Jesus to equip me. So you hear some commands. A command like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your answer might be, I can't. And you're right. And an answer back to you might be something like, no, you can't on your own, but through Christ you can. He has equipped you with everything good for doing his will and living in a way that pleases him. Or a command, love your neighbor as yourself. Like even the neighbors that are hard to love, even the co-workers, the family members that are hard to love. Love them as myself. I can't do that. You're right. But through Christ in you, you can. Go and make disciples. I I can't. No, not on your own. But through Christ who is in you, you can. So the good news is, yes, we can be saved by Christ alone, but also this same God is equipping us with everything good to do His will and to live in a way that pleases Him. 
And to finish out this benediction is basically a doxology. Notice this, through Jesus Christ it says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God saves by Christ, all glory be to Christ. God equips us through Christ, all glory be to Christ. And so it makes sense that the book focused on the superiority of Jesus. Remember, that's, that's what the book is trying to get across. No, Jesus is better. This is good news. Don't turn back. Don't go watch the, the preview again when the movie's already come out. Right? Jesus is better than anything and everything, and so it fits that he would say, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Now this would be blasphemous if Jesus is not God. And a Jewish person would have understood that. That if Jesus is not God, to say, to him, to Jesus be all glory forever and ever? Oh, you can't say that. That's blasphemy. But it's not blasphemy because Jesus is God. Remember how the book started? I love the, the beginning of, of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the Jesus that we were introduced to at the beginning of Hebrews and that by the time we get to the end, we're told, all glory be to Him forever and ever. Amen. To which we should just say, Amen. Application for us then would be simple. I hope that the book of Hebrews, I'll admit, there were times where like I'm studying this, like I got to preach this, I don't get it. So like, I, like there's, there's hard to understand stuff. There was hard to apply stuff because it was very clearly written to people tempted to return to the old covenant Judaism. I'm not really tempted in that way, right? And so there's times like, oh, how does this apply to us, right? And so, so there, was, there was some tough stuff in it, but ultimately what I hope has happened as we've walked through this book is we as a church have become more convinced that Jesus is better, that Jesus is better than any religious rituals that I enjoy. That Jesus is better than anything that could make me comfortable. That Jesus is better than anything that would give me pleasure. That Jesus is better than my hopes and my dreams. That Jesus is better than anything that I fear. That there is nothing and no one better than Jesus. I hope we have been convinced of this, and if you need to be convinced of this, again, just go back to Hebrews again. And the other half of it, Jesus is better, and remember the other half of it, so stick with Him. I hope that also, as a church, we have become more convinced that, that because Jesus is better, I will stick with Him even if no one else does. Because Jesus is better, I will stick with him, even if it means my life is going to get harder from here on out. That we as a church would believe so much that Jesus is better, that we will say, I will stick with him even if I suffer. I will stick with him even when I doubt. I will stick with Jesus because he is my sure and steady anchor. There's all sorts of things in my life that I'm unsure of. Right? Things that, that, man, I love to be sure of this. I'm just simply not sure of this. In our Sunday school class, we heard from a panel of people that farm. 
they just shared, the, the one repeated theme was, there's all sorts of stuff we're not in control of, things we can't be sure of, things that are not steady. The good news in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is our sure and steady anchor. So we started singing this song called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor during the book because the, the, the song just comes right out of the book of Hebrews. And that's how we're going to end as well, by singing this song taken right from this book. And my hope is that as we sing it, God is pleased and Jesus is glorified as we become more and more convinced that Jesus is better than anything and everything and he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for giving us your Son, because we know we are hopeless without Him. That we, separated from you by our sin, need desperately to be saved. And we know, I pray that we would know, that we cannot save ourselves. That we could not draw near to you and be in your presence, either now or for all of eternity, on our own. So thank you that you, through your Son, have provided a way for us to be saved. And thank you that you through your Son have equipped us with everything good for doing your will and for pleasing you. And thank you for holding on to us when we lose our grip. Thank you for being the God of peace in the midst of storms. Convince us even more, even as we sing, that Christ is our only sure and steady anchor. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand with us if you're able.